Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Well, we're here at the Libertarian Christian Institute booth at Freedom Fest, and I'm here with one of my favorite people in the world. His name is Connor Boyack. Connor, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is You call this the family reunion of the Libertarian family. It's the family reunion. Some of the uncles and aunts and grandparents are kind of aging out, and a lot of the kids don't want to come <laughs> to the family reunion because it's awkward, and it's filled with old people who just talk about memories from 30 years ago. So yeah. in that sense, it feels very much like a well, family reunion. Well, then that positions you really well because you're after the children of America, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, for us, it's the homeschool conferences. It's where it's yeah, at, okay. a lot of stuff like that. So we, we do a lot of those conferences throughout the year. Yeah. Okay. So I recently interviewed you on one of your books on, I think it was the Modern Villains book, yeah. and then you have 12... What's the name of the Tuttle Ours Twins is version? called uh, the Tuttle Twins and the 12 Rules Boot Camp. 12 Rules Book yeah. Boot Camp. I was going to quote Jordan Peterson's actual title, and that's yeah. not your title. Yep. And also what is not yet arrived at our doorstep is the history book, okay. uh, the volume two of the history book. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Perfect. Tell us what the first volume, just kind of introduce that, and then yeah. like, what does this cover, the new one? Well, these history books, American history books, started because we had identified that in all the social studies books out there that kids are being taught history with, they're full of names and dates and facts and all the minutiae. None of them are teaching ideas and values and philosophy and these like substantive things that we want kids to actually understand. And so I had heard this quote, everyone's heard this quote, those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. The problem today is that kids are not being taught to learn from the past, they're simply being taught about the past. Mm, and that's yeah. different, that's very passive, it's very kind of disengaged. And we think instead that we need to find ways to get kids to learn about the past, yes, but then learn from it and say, okay, well, they had that incident 200 whatever years ago, and that's kind of like what's happening today. What can we learn from the debates and the outcomes in mm -hmm. the past to apply to today? So our books use storytelling. They're not textbooks. They're not dry, boring, whatever, just fun stories about history. But the point is that throughout, we're teaching kids about the philosophies, the values, the debates, the ideas to say, here's what happened back then. And here's a modern example. And what yeah. do you guys think about applying it? So that's kind of the idea. Now we've got two volumes. They're each about 250 pages, hardback, fully illustrated. And we got room to grow. We're going to do hopefully volume three yeah. and four and keep it going. Sure. You're going to do 1,776 volumes, right? Over that's, time? That's right. One a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a legacy thing, right? Like you just got to keep going. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Never how ending. Do you, how do you approach the learn from the past piece? Because when it comes to things like, I think it was Matt Taibbi yesterday was talking about journalism and there's this like moral clarity concept in journalism rather than just the raw facts. And like, if you just tell people about the past in your situation, then they can sort of make their own conclusions or hopefully connect certain dots. When if you say, well, hey, we want to help kids learn from the past, right? you're in control of helping them know what to learn. So how do you take that approach without it mm. going into propaganda, which has been an accusation that you've it, it has I mean, been, it's from CNN, so it really doesn't yeah, land. Yeah, it, it's you know. been an accusation over the years, say, Tuttle Twins, propaganda for kids. And I used to get defensive about that. Now I own it. I say it absolutely is propaganda. Okay. Literally everything is propaganda. Taking your kids to Bible study is propaganda. Sure. Because propaganda is really just the propagation of ideas. So ultimately, we're just talking about which ideas are true, which ideas should we reject, which are good. Bad. So it's no different from Nicole Hannah-Jones 
she's doing propaganda too with the 1619 project. Right. It's just that interpretation. And and that I'm yes, it's the interpretation and and more than that I would say it's the context. So so I step back and I say, why does history matter at all? Like I hated history in school. I hated all the yeah, textbooks yeah. I've got and everything. kids telling me what they think about history too. Yeah, yeah. and I, I didn't enjoy it, but later in life I realized history is important precisely because I believe it's contextual. And what I mean by that is how we interpret our past is how we define ourselves now mm -hmm. and what direction we see ourselves needing to go in the future. You look at someone like 1619 Project, it's an attempt to frame the past in a shameful light mm -hmm. to discount the founding fathers, their classical liberal heritage and everything else set that aside so that we can feel more empowered as, say, black people with reparations and things yeah, today, right, right. and then go in a much more progressive Marxist direction in the future. So history is contextual because we're always framing it in a way that serves us today and in the future. With our books, yeah. our framing is, no, let's go back to the 1200s. Let's look at the Magna Carta. Let's look at Marco Polo and all the free trade, which led to exploration, yeah, yeah. which led to colonization, which led to America. Yeah. These are more interesting things because it's like, wow, when, when America is really uh, the genesis of all these people simply trying to improve their lives and trade with one another for mutual advantage, then that's a very interesting definition for who I am today. I'm a product of people trying to seek a better life. And I can learn from them to try and seek my own better yeah, life in the yeah. future. And so I think history is critical because how we frame the past is how we define ourselves now and what direction we're going out in the future. And that's why I think we're in a battle right now over narratives of the past and yeah. because it's all about who we are today. Who can own the narrative is sort of how you can propagandize. Hey, folks, I just want to take a break from our episode to ask you to consider becoming an LCI insider. We want everyone to feel engaged and excited about what LCI is doing. And the best way to do that is if you become a monthly supporter at $20 or more per month, you will become what we're calling our LCI insiders. You get some free gifts. You get an exclusive Crisis King magnetic lapel pin. We give you two copies of Faith Seeking Freedom. We send monthly ebooks months ahead of when they're released on our public website. You can get discounts on our swag on our online store, and you get exclusive invites to our quarterly live streams with the LCI staff. In addition to that, whenever we do publish something like a physical book like Strangers with Candy, we'll also send you those as well. So the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing and to support what the Libertarian Christian Institute is doing, including supporting the podcast you're listening to right now, is to become an LCI insider. So to do that, go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate and then choose recurring monthly gift and you'll be added to our list automatically. Thank you for your support and I'll let you get back to the podcast. So the issue of the American founding, earlier today, Brian Kaplan bit the bullet as he says when he was asked about the, whether or not the Americans should have rebelled against Britain, mm -hmm. or the, against the colonists. And he was kind of like, yeah, I think it was a big mistake. But here we are, it actually happened. There was a rebellion, we won the war, all of that. And that is part of our American mythos. How critical is that to the ideas of classical liberalism that we both sit here and endorse? I mean, obviously, you're going to teach American history. It's going to be part of that mythos. But for you, how important is it that the American Revolution had to happen? Well, I'll give you kind of a particular example. I'm going to fast forward a little bit beyond the revolution and go sure. to the Constitution. Because we could say the same thing about the Constitution. Like, yeah, hey, revolution was justified, but did we really need a Constitution? Should yeah, the okay. colonies, the states have Become ceded federal, yeah. their power and, and changed the Articles of Confederation? And I remember, like most high school kids, and I'm a graduate of what I call the public fool system. 
And in school, <laughs> I had to read the Federalist Papers, which is propaganda. It was pro literally sure, yeah. pro-Constitution puff pieces out in the news media at the time. Here's why we you know, need the Constitution. And so we read it, and we had to write reports on it and all the rest. Well, it wasn't until like after college that I learned that there was such a thing as anti-Federalists, which is also funny <laughs> because what we call today the anti-Federalists were actually the true Federalists. They were the ones saying no to the Constitution to preserve oh, federalism. Funny. And yet the Federalists, all these guys, it was a total PR move. They called themselves Federalists, even though they were subverting the Federalism uh, to try and create okay. a national government. And then they branded their opponents as the ones being against Federalists, even though they were the true Federalists. Very fascinating stuff. Okay, you just cleared something really up for me because I've often been like, well, wait, am I a Federalist or an Anti-Federalist? I'm like, well, why were the Anti-Federalists the bad guys in the... Okay, now right. that totally and, clears and, it up. And so when I finally went and read the Anti-Federalists and all their warnings about the Constitution, I'm like, holy crap, these guys were actually dead on with a lot of this stuff, right? <laughs> and we see now two centuries later, the outgrowth of the consequences of doing that. So then it causes me to pause and say, all right, have I grown up in this kind of indoctrinated environment in which constitution is glorified and it's all these, yeah, you know, everything, right. because history is written by the victors. And in that case, the so-called federalists were the victors. So in our books, what we're trying to do is resurface some of these things and be like, hey, there's such things as quote unquote anti-federalists. Not Here's everyone what agreed with were. this. Yes. Right, exactly. And so, so back to the revolution, same thing. It's like there were there's a fascinating book. Oh, I wish I would have been prepared for this, but there's a book that surfaces all of the speeches and remarks from pastors and ministers in colonial America who were opposing the Revolutionary War. And so it's a book just focused on what was the clergy saying, but the loyalist clergy that was saying, you know, oh, Romans 13, what, you know, submission to government, yeah. we shouldn't do all this stuff. So it's just fascinating to me when we can go back and find those dissident voices who are different from the victors because our framing of history is so often confined by how the victors have framed mm -hmm. the narrative. So what we're trying to do for kids is just surface the other arguments and say, well, who do you think was right? Like, let's actually realize that there were these different arguments and then yeah. evaluate them. Sounds like you're propagandizing kids to think. Shameful, right? <laughs> Isn't that, that's very controversial these days to, <laughs> to do such a thing. There was actually a survey, funny you mentioned this, recently, it was like 50,000 parents, very statistic, like very robust survey. And they asked parents to identify all the different reasons why they think that we need K through 12 education. Like, why do we educate kids? You talk to the common core people for the past decade and it's to make them college and career ready. That was the term, right? <laughs> and so parents out of like 50 some odd criteria, that was ranked down at like number 40. Parents are like, I don't send my kid to school, homeschool, private school, whatever. I don't send them to get them college and career ready. Top two things that parents said, this is why education and my children matter. Number one was practical skills, had actually like do stuff. Number two was critical thinking. Okay. And so parents rank this at the very top, but most schools, almost all schools, most curricula, most textbooks, most teachers are not inspiring critical thinking. It's just this authoritarian education model yeah. of like, you must learn this because some school board once upon a time said yeah. that you must. Well, and I recently started thinking about the way in which I appeal to arguments just when I'm having conversations with people. And I started realizing that I was sort of inculcated in the idea that what you say has to find its authority in someone else, someone else who's an expert. Obviously, there's an element to that. I'm going to come to you when I want to know about how do I, you know, if I wanted to write a curriculum, I might come to you and be like, hey, you've done this before. So there's that. But the idea of you sit there and you just imbibe somebody else's knowledge and wisdom, wisdom might be a little different concept, but in terms of like the schooling model, it's just like, nope, you sit there and listen, we have things to tell you. Whereas schooling is changing 
I would say in, in the next probably 50 years, we're probably going to realize that we did it really badly 100 years ago. I, I sure hope so. I hope we yeah. realize that sooner uh, sooner than that. I mean, if, if anything, COVID was helpful in that regard to wake a lot of parents yeah. up and be yeah. like, hey, you know, things are... But I often like to share the quote from uh, Vadi Bakum, who said that parents shouldn't be surprised when they send their children to Caesar's schools and then the kids return home as Romans. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, you, yeah. you can't you know, forever cede to your ideological and even religious adversaries the upbringing of your children during their most intellectually developmental formative years and then be shocked when like they go off the path, whether religiously, socially, economically, politically, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So to me, it's a plea for intentionality with parents and say like, you need to take ownership of your children's upbringing. You need to propagandize them in a good way yeah. because everyone else is gonna be trying to do it from their differing perspectives. And if you're not playing that game to try and teach your kids truth, other people are gonna send them down wandering paths. Yeah. Where's the best place to buy the book, the new history book? TuttleTwins.com slash history. Okay. Uh, we got a bundle where if you don't yet have the first volume that came out last year, you can get both volumes together or you can buy them separately. And each book comes with 200 pages of curriculum activities. So you read a chapter in the book and then there's a bunch of little lessons and activities that you can do. And then the full audio book as well. It's like six hours of audio content and then some bonus videos. So it's like a bundle deal, TuttleTwins.com slash history. All right, Connor, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. 